there is a new enemy. Well, that's ominous. Acoustics. Oh, no. Please tell me you're getting into guitars. Please. Uh, no. No. Oh. I'm not soldering any effects pedals over here uh, just yet. Well, I was hoping you were into acoustic guitars. You wouldn't be soldering effects pedals for that. Look, I have a couple of acoustic guitars. They have their place. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Probably most everybody listening knows I'm on a new PC at this point. Yeah. Um, but for a variety of reasons, I've only, uh, okay, I'm on d- d- day six, day five, day six of actually like using it as my, my PC, my main, oh, my daily driver. You doing like streams from it and stuff? You playing? Oh, yeah, you playing? yeah. No, I'm, I'm fully just for various reasons. You know, I had to replace the case and I was doing some benchmarking and general testing and yeah. XYZ, you know, didn't want to interrupt my workflow by yeah. switch sw- uh, swapping PCs midweek. Um, I didn't actually like fully move all the hardware over and install a good permanent windows install and stuff until last Sunday. So I'm only, I'm only a few days into like ironing out issues and actually daily driving it. But you have played like son of the forest. On, oh yeah. Yeah. No, on, I've been okay. playing, yes. I've been playing games on it, playing been, the video games, streaming okay. from it, all kinds of stuff. But there are a, cl- a couple of hilarious acoustics issues. Oh no. But I've never really had to deal with before. So the, the cavernous reverb of your cooler because of the size of that enormous case. So the exhaust fan. When it hits, this is bizarre. When it hits a very specific speed, it can't be more than about 100 RPM. Yeah. Plus or minus, it's somewhere around 1200 RPM. Mm-hmm. It just starts making this droning sound. Like I can't, I couldn't even verbally replicate it. It is just a high pitched hum. And like if I hold my hand in front of the exhaust, it stops. Like I literally, it seems like just like diverting some of the airflow. Huh. Stops it. And then also on the CPU cooler. <laughs> The, the front fan, not the not the main one, but the sort of optional one that goes on the front of that cooler. Yeah. When it also hits a very specific RPM, it sounds like a biplane. It sounds like a like classic 1920s like you. Um, this is a fan control problem, right? So that's, Just, that's yeah. literally it is. I think I'm going to have to like you tell me. I think I'm going to have to literally look at the fan curves and just find a place where I go straight vertical. Like the second that it's going to hit one of those weird RPM windows, I need to just like make it go up another hundred RPM. I also might grab those rubber those rubber stoppers that that um that they ship with those fans. I might I might give that a try, but I, it really seems like it is an airflow thing. Like it is just. And you're sure it's the back fans, not the front red? Yeah, I've I've the tested like you know like like manually stopping fans to figure out which ones are doing it. But again, I don't. It's not a it's not a vibrating or buzzing thing. It is literally like I think that way. Aerod- aerodynamically the way the air is flowing over stuff i think is what's causing this uh-huh. and so I, wonder, I think I, I think i just need to make those fan those two fans just never need to go these very specific speeds so i've got to like i've got to get like real creative with the fan curves yeah i was gonna say with as many fans as you have on the front you probably can get away with not ever spinning up that exhaust fan all the way really like that exhaust fan like should be if you have to spin it up to 100 percent, like shit should be on fire inside your case yeah also to be clear i haven't even touched fan curves this is literally whatever the default motherboard profile is so i just oh, oh yeah then have yeah, done zero work on actually tweaking fans so go to get get fan so and, I, i've, I've uh, got that yeah. running i'm i've actually i've got fan control i just haven't done the stuff yet but i, I just think it's hilarious that it's like i think it's like right around 1200 rpm on that exhaust fan when the home kicks in oh yeah i can't imagine you'll ever run that thing at 1200 rpms what's the top speed on those 1500 uh i think it's i think it tops out at 15 they're 140 millimeter 
Well, like the whole point of putting a big giant, three big giant fans on the front of your case, I mean, making positive pressure inside that enormous case is going to be impossible, right? Because it's too big and there's too many holes. I didn't. Re- I thought the, I, I just assumed the exhaust fan needed to go pretty fast because there's only one of them. Well, no, because it's going to blow, you're going to blow a lot of air in and all the excess air is going to blow out the side. So that exhaust fan is just to keep air moving. Like it's, it's to keep the exhaust, well, you're using an air cooler. So it's to keep the exhaust from the air cooler moving and it's to, and it's to keep air moving over the VRMs and stuff around the fan. But since you have the CPU cooler that does that too, right? Like you're, you're like in my situation, because I have a water cooler and an all in one block, I have to, I have to have an active fan blowing on those or else they get too hot. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's uh, I mean, you're going to, you're going to get in fan control and you're going to spend like five minutes and it's going to be about 80% better. Yeah. And then and then you can noodle with those curves and just bypass the specific frequencies that are a problem. Considering both of those fans are not super essential, actually might just lock them at a speed and not worry about it. You could do that, too. I mean, I I, so I my general rule is for stuff like that. I keep the the curve totally flat at whatever speed I want it to run. And then when it gets up to like a temperature that seems like it's approaching scary, I spin it up. Oh, that's a good idea. Which also like that gives me the warning, like the audible warning that something's not quite right. Doing, doing the, doing the fan control setup where like the way the fan control auto detects ranges is by spinning things up to a hundred and then zero. Yeah. And not knowing what the motherboard alarm sounded like for, Hey, the CPU fan is not working. (laughs) <laughs> was a I don't I don't know what it's like on your board, but that was that was a fun wake up call of like wow there's an interesting sound coming out of there and it's just because it had stopped the CPU fan and that was some kind of fail safe alarm. Yeah, mine I, my I have to turn that alarm off because I have the water cooling thing, so you, it's it's a little different oh, setup. But sure. um, but yeah, so do that and and see what it is. Pay attention to the hysterius hysteresis because that's <laughs> uh-huh. what that's what controls how how quickly it responds sure so that'll that'll make it bypass those that'll help like you may not have to make the steep curve because if you set the hysteresis right it may not even be a problem we got straight into content here today here's an alternative strategy yeah what if instead of thinking that that cpu fan sounds like a biplane i convince myself it sounds like a motorcycle biplanes are cool too man okay well it's just it's just a some, some kind of badass engine in there revving up, man. This thing is so powerful. It's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. oh man, the, the, the future of cool engines is humming. I could do this for like 10 minutes. This is a cold open right here. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Hello. Brad, it's my favorite episode of the month. Is it? It's time to answer the emails. It's time to turn the questions that are seeking answers into answers. Mm-hmm. We're we are taking... our, our patented scientific formula. Do we have a patented scientific formula? Or original recipe. <laughs> Does that mean? We're, wait, that would mean we're eligible for a research credit, research and development credit, if we have a patented scientific formula. That's a that's a that's exciting. That's tax credits are very exciting to me at this time of year. I don't know why. We're gonna, we're gonna fry up some original recipe and extra crispy answers. Over here. Oh man, 
Okay, we ordered some KFC the other day. Wait, really? Yeah, we went and got I I it was like a nice it was that first, you know, that first like spring afternoon and it's nice out and you're like, <laughs> "Ah, the first chicken bucket of spring." Oh man, I could go for some fried chicken and I was going to try to go pick it up at Popeyes, but there's no drive-through at Popeyes and uh I, I'll tell you, it's in a the Popeyes near me is in a place where you have to parking is a challenge. Like you usually have to park and walk from like a different parking lot across a busy street. And I didn't want to die for fried. I mean, look, I'm, I'm eating fried chicken. It's not something you do if you want to live a long, healthy life. <laughs> Fair. But I didn't want to die with the bucket of fried chicken in my hand. So I went to KFC. Some, some people might argue there's no better way to go. But, you know, look, we can't all be Vinnie Caravella's Brad. Uh but but yeah, it was uh, it was uh, like you order the bucket online now and then go pick it up in the in the then they have it waiting for you when you get there, like a little Caesars hot and ready. And uh, I'll go and tell you fried chicken. Pretty tasty. Yeah. Felt real bad the next day. It was like I had a chicken hangover. That will happen. That will happen. The, old, the older I get, the more like the more I really have to weigh the like. How much do I want to enjoy this indulgence versus how much do I want to pay for it later? Whether it's like whether it's drinking or eating bad food or literally anything, it's like maybe I should just work out every day and eat salads all the time from now on. Well, it, yeah, it's it's like I I make my choices. You know, there's there's that study. There's a there's a weird study that nobody understands why it exists, but apparently men who eat two servings of ice cream a week. Mm-hmm. tend to have a reduced ch- chance of like diabetes and heart disease and three other things that do not go in line with the with the like somebody somebody found this core it's a like a correlation it's a it's a it's a, a longitudinal study over a long period of time uh and somebody found it in their it found, uh, put together this result as part of their their like their thesis and they got rejected and they were like, hey, go back and do more work on this because this can't possibly be right. And they were like, man, the math is right on this. If you eat two bowls of ice cream a week, uh, you're more likely to live. Uh, you're more likely to not have these specific diseases. Uh, so, of course, all of those things are kind of bullshit. But I, you know what I would you know what I would love to see as a long term project is for somebody to collate every sort of study based recommendation for health practices into one giant matrix. Just like, I, I want to see like, okay, how many eggs a day? Yeah. This, this ice cream twice, twice a week thing. I don't know if people are putting coconut oil in their coffee now. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many What's, things what, out there. How many glasses of wine a week should you drink right. for maximum heart health and maximum liver, liver health? Like where's Just the line? Somebody, somebody, uh, somebody deliver me the unlikely diet plan. That's going to make me live the longest that I, I just, I want to know. Look, I don't want that one. I want the one that's going to make me feel the best. Okay, sure. Uh, while <laughs> I, while I, yeah, the least human suffering possible. More, more, more valuable, sure. Um. Uh, well, hey, let's let's go from asking for recommendations to giving some. What do you say? Yeah, you can uh, send your your emails into techpod at content.town or if you're in the Discord, if you're a patron, uh, which you can sign up for at patreon.com slash techpod, you can go into the Q's Seeking A's channel and post a question into the void. It'll stay up for a second or two if people are in the channel and then it'll go away and we'll see it at the end of the month when it's time for us to answer Q's. Yeah, that's true. What you got, Brad? Um, shall we start with the emails? An electronic mail, eh? Uh-huh. Hmm. How about I pull two emails? What? It's unprecedented. Two emails for the price of one here because they're, they're both kind of related. So I'll just read them both and then maybe we can oh, address them. A uh, theme. Efficiently. Uh, here's an email from Scott in Lawrenceville, Georgia. 
I feel like I remember Will talking in the past about using his phone to 3D scan a real world object so he can import it into 3D modeling software to tweak before he then 3D prints a modified object. Uh, would you be able to go into this workflow a bit with suggested apps or programs to use? I have an iPad Pro with the LiDAR camera and I'm currently looking to make a modified version of a bike-like mounting plate. Bike. Boy, this is a tongue twister. A bike light mounting plate. <laughs> okay. That oh, I like already a plate to mount your bike light yes, on your bike yes. handlebars. Okay. Yes. That I already have in my possession as I need it to be longer in one direction. Okay. That's 3D email number one. That's from Scott in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Yes. Let me scroll here. Uh, second one from Joe. I recently bought myself a 3D printer and the only thing I've printed with it so far are improvements and accessories for the 3D printer. Uh, what are some useful things I can print with this thing to justify buying it to my friends and family? Okay, so this is a question you get. Uh, that's from Joe. Sorry, Joe. Yeah. Uh, this is a question you get a lot about 3D printers, right? Like you get a 3D printer, and you're like, okay, I printed a bunch of accessories through the 3D printer. In fact, actually, in the old days, and still a lot of 3D printers are sold as a bin of parts, like hardware, like metal parts that you can't 3D print. And then uh, like starter 3D parts. And then when you put it together, the first thing you do is print some more parts to like further build out the printer. Um, the place I like to go and I recommend people go look for ideas is uh, the subreddit functional print. Okay. It's just the word functional and then the word print. And uh, they're all one word. There's no underscore or anything. And people post things that they've made that they're like stoked about. So like scrolling down it right now, there's a fix for their fridge water dispenser which is a little iffy because a lot of the plastic to use in 3d printers isn't probably food safe, mm. but maybe it's the button and not the, maybe it's the button and not like the, the water nozzle part. I can't tell. Um, there's uh like, like things that hold things on shelves. There's a fan collar for somebody's uh, ceiling fan. Uh, there's a sound bar to TV mount. So it's like all stuff that they were like, Hey, here's a problem. Here's how to solve it. Now, the thing I will say on the bike mount, depending on how that works, if it's if the light is like a tube and you're making a circle and like two circles that are offset by 90 degrees so you can put the tube in one thing and then clamp it onto the handlebars, that's probably a good thing to print. But I'm not sure that it's going to work like 3D scanning is not usually good for high precision stuff. It's usually sure. like we did a whole Fusho episode where we 3D scanned a bunch of stuff from Adam's shop with like expensive laser scanners and like the whole thing. We used four different kinds of scanners for that. And the data that you get out of those is really noisy. It's fine for like artistic purposes. Like a, a lot of, I, it's funny. I actually use a lot of mega scan stuff that Epic and, and people have put in the Epic store in in some stuff that i'm working on right now um but it's not like none of that is it's such stuff you would like you you don't get the precision needed to make them like it's not like you're gonna replace a machined part or a plastic right. cast part with that don't 3d print anything with five thou tolerances yeah so what's what if you want to make a, a holder for your light you're better off finding a 3d scan of like like the the 3D specifications of the light that you have, which somebody's probably posted on Thingiverse or Sketchfab or something like that. Like, search for the model number and 3D model, get the scale right, and then put that in a block that you that you've like find the other end of the mount that's going to go on your bike handlebar, attach that to a big block, and then carve the shape of the of the light out of that in the place that you want to do it and 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 make it that way. It's it'll work better than 3D scanning. Um for 3D scanning on the phone, I use Scandi. It's pretty good. 
And you can do rooms, you can do objects, you can do heads, stuff like that. All right. That is a comprehensive answer to th- two 3D questions. There we go. That's what that, you know, that's what we do. We we uh, efficiently answer questions that's here right. on the TechPod Q&A. That's right. Only the most trustworthy uh, and robust answers around here. Okay. Question from Andrew, I guess. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can speak to this recently. Have there been any meaningful advances in case design for desktops in the last 20 years? I don't mean RGB type things, but something that would matter to a person looking to build a new PC who happens to have a case from about 2005 still around. This is um, Andrew. Brad, if you yes. wrote this in and you said, signed Andrew to it, it's okay. We would have answered your That's question, nice. too. Look, oh. Uh, I, you know what? I, I almost stuck with my previous case, which is only five years. Well, actually it came out more than five years ago, but I only bought it five years ago, but I decided to go all the way with a brand new machine. One of the reasons it occurred to me kind of retroactively is that I think we're probably on maybe the last generation of cases that have a five and a quarter drive base in them. Oh, that's probably true. Like I'm guessing probably the next major refresh from most every case manufacturer is not going to have space for an optical drive anymore. So I'm kind of glad I got what is probably one of the last ones of those. It'll probably become a specialty thing in the future. Yeah. Or, or you, I mean, the, 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 from a performance standpoint, there's probably no difference between a USB three external cage with a drive in it. It's just one less wire and one probably less thing not. to have on your desk. Probably not, but I, it's yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just less clutter to deal with. Um, I actually, I think they probably will. Some will continue offering sort of conversion options, you know, like well, that's what yeah. mine has now is, Hey, this can be a five and a quarter bay or it can be another fan mount. Yeah. And I would have never known that it was a five and a quarter bay at the top if, yeah. if I hadn't seen it taken apart. Uh, the big thing to me is noise. Like the cases now are much, much, much quieter yes. than they were in two, 2005. Cases were loud. Yes. Um, so, so they're much more noise insulated. The airflow is more deliberate and, and like there's simultaneously much more airflow in because in like the 2005 era, we were still talking about like a fan low in the front of the PC and a fan high in the back of the PC and maybe a fan on the top, but that's probably it. And, and I don't know that that kind of case has enough air coming in to support like a high end GPU today. Yeah. Um, Um, a lot more sound dampening than there used to be. On, well, yeah. it depends on the type of case. If it's a very enclosed case, like a lot of them have good sound dampening in the panels now. But also another major innovation is that a lot of them are extremely open now, like with with mesh mesh fronts, like massive amounts of venting. Yeah. Essentially using fans that are so big, they're very quiet, even though they move a lot of air. Mm-hmm. Like I saw the uh, I got to see the fractal torrent in person when I was at uh, at the studio with Adam and, and doing the build. Yeah. Did you and like it? It was cool. Yeah. But like the fans inside of it, I feel like are an illegal size for PC case fans. Like, I don't even know. What are those things like 200 millimeter? Aren't they just 140s? 240s? No, they are. No, they are oh, they're way bigger than that. I actually oh. wonder if they are custom made for that case because they are gargantuan. I've never seen such a thing in PC cases, but apparently that thing's quite is very quiet because, again, they're so big. They can move a lot of air at, at low speed. Oh, they're 180, uh, 180. millimeter fans. Yeah. They're also thicker. They're also, I think, significantly thicker than your average 25 millimeter case. Yeah, they're 38 millimeters. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the, the, the airflow, the other thing is there's a lot of cutouts for cable routing now. Yes. Cable routing is so, better. 
like the the cutout your case has maybe the best cutouts i've ever seen because it has like it has case it has cutouts around the usb and front panel headers at the bottom of the motherboard mm-hmm. it has cutouts where the power stuff i mean my, mine has cutouts where the power stuff comes in and one along the bottom but it's it's much tighter than than yours was fractals philosophy for this thing because there's so much extra surface area from having gotten the big case their philosophy seems to have just been hey every bit of extra surface area should be a cutout yeah on this yeah. thing so well, that's very nice and then also 2005 would have been just around the time that we started seeing the first um, external uh, like uh, CPU mounting bracket cut out in the back. So you could take the CPU out of the CPU. Yes. You could disconnect the CPU cooler without necessarily having to take the motherboard out of the case, which was a big deal. Yeah, I randomly was going through my new egg history, just looking at old PC build stuff uh, a couple days ago. And 2006 is when I bought the venerable Antec P180. Do you remember yeah, that? That was one? a classic. And used that one until 2018. Yeah, that, um, that was a so fine I, case. It was yeah. good. It was good, but it was in that transition point from the 90s beige boxes, like the the absolute garbage tier yeah. cases that used to be common to the modern era of very nice cases. So it was like it was a good case for the time, but it's still I've used it as recently as five years, and I can tell you, still a lot of very rugged, rough metal in there <laughs> that is very prone to cutting you up. So like well, even even just like less jagged surfaces and stuff, I think just like case case build quality and thoughtfulness of design has is just light years beyond where it was 15 years ago. I will. And then the last thing is the front ports are going to be the modern USB yes. specs, whereas that'll be US, you'll be limited to USB two on, yes. the, on the on the older case. Yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's like I was in that situation in 2018 when I did some rebuilding of things using that P180 and I was like, ah, it's still working fine. Right. But then I decided like, ah, no, whatever, I'm going to get a define R6 and like instantly glad i did dramatically yeah even even though that case that you have is technically still doing it 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 could be so much better well and and the other thing is like a really nice case is not super expensive today like you can you can get the the torrent the torrent is kind of expensive because it's a fancy case but like you you can get a a really nice corsair or um or uh nzxt case for like 100 and 120 dollars yeah and it'll last you for another 10 15 years for sure yeah I'm, I'm not trying to shill for fractal here it's just that's been my last three case purchases but but yes well, there are there are a lot of good cases out there these days for me the case is one of those things where like especially for a main machine i'm often willing to spend a little bit more money because the cases tend to last a really long time and you know i want something that i'm going to not be sad looking at for the next 10 years so for sure Another email from Emily. What's your favorite screen or icon or page uh, from software, game, or otherwise? I have a fondness for the old Netscape Navigator uh, page loading icon at the top right with the shooting stars. Mm. I also love that throbber. It is the best. <sighs> Browser throbbers don't even exist anymore, which is no. really unfortunate. Is there is there a Chrome extension that will replicate that well, experience? Do we put the throbber is just on the icon on the fave icon on the tab now yeah i guess so some 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 of the browser streamlining that has gone on in recent years is maybe a little too minimal for my taste but I mean, um well like i i don't like the reason we had to have the throbber though because it was because it took three minutes for a web page to load back then so like for you sure. needed something to say hey this is still working yeah I, i'm kind I, of I, I don't miss that part of it but i do yeah, miss the fair. throbber that's fair. Yes. Just as a kitschy, like nostalgia thing. It's the kind of thing where we needed it, but now it's part of our history. So we want it uh, yeah. to, to remember the things we loved. I actually, can I add loading web pages to the things that are hilariously faster on this machine because they render faster? Oh, d- yeah, like, dude. 
There's it's not huge, but there is a noticeable difference in how fast pages render now. <laughs> this new machine. Anyway, oh, it's a hundred percent like like everything is going to be faster on yeah. that machine. So so um, mine is probably the Windows 95. Remember the like the Windows 95 full screen splash when it would come up and it oh, had the, the, the little clouds. the clouds and it had the little blue bar along the bottom that is kind of animated to let you know it was still working. I find I find like when you, it's funny, we're getting to an age now where there is a lot of nostalgia for old computing okay as i say that out loud of course there is that's the most obvious statement in the world there's nostalgia for old things but i guess what i'm saying is we're getting to the point where there's nostalgia for like windows from the 95 to xp range or maybe even getting into nostalgia for seven territory now that's what i mean it's like retro pcs are not just 80s beige box like you know ibm xts anymore now it's like your windows xp machine is retro well, and, and, and those and those Windows 95 splash screens, both the both the cloud startup one and also the 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 black, the orange on black. It is now safe to <laughs> shut down your computer. Like I need I to make see, a T-shirt that has that on it. That, actually, that, that would probably sell like, um, a, dude. Yeah, like actually. I wonder I wonder if there are any rights issues. You could quite literally. What are they going to do? Image. It's just a font. There's nothing to copy, right? Yeah, you could you could literally lift that image and get it screen printed. I mean, you'd want to flatten it down to one color, but yeah, but you could pretty much make that shirt very easily <laughs> I, I, i'm gonna do that before the end of this show the um we'll, we'll I'll, I'll post a link if we do it in time for the episode to come out uh the, the 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 thing about this whole this whole deal is steve steve friend of the pod steve lynn explained this to me years ago because he was like look when people your age reached a point where they had jobs where they had income and could spend money on frivolous but not super expensive things. They went back to buy pieces of their childhood. They went back and bought Star Wars toys, and they went back and bought NES and and Master System cartridges and stuff like that. And and that part of that drove the boom in the price of NES cartridges. And then once that boom passed, then the inventory that was available for collectors went way down, and and everything got and stayed more expensive. And then that happened with the SNES, and it happened with the GameCube, and it happened with the with the N sixty four, and like we're seeing the same thing on the PC side, right? The difference is it's easier to emulate um, old PC stuff. So if all you care is the software, you just download the software and run on your modern PC and DOS box or whatever. And if you're or x86 box and if whereas, you know, people have, you know, fondness for the physical thing in terms of the old console games. Yeah, for sure. Um, I couldn't even pick one here, man. There is so much old iconography from that era of computing that I love. I just don't know where to start. I love, the, we did we talk, we talked about the MS DOS icon, I believe last month. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. I love the next logo uh, next as in the Steve jobs. Oh yeah. Post Apple. It's, it's really good. Um, I like all the beast. I, we could just sit here all day talking about like graphic design and UI design and, and splash screens and stuff that were awesome. I, I, the secret is they're awesome because it's what we grew up with. <laughs> like it's not, there's no objective quality there. It's just the things that you see when you're young really stick with you. Yeah. There's, there's, um, sadly no extensions that I'm finding. That's, a, that's unfortunate. I may have to do some research there. I mean, I, I straight up made the Netscape navigator throbber the show art a few months ago for an episode. Yeah. I love that. It made me happy. Um, it wasn't animated though, Brad. No, that was the thing. It was, that was very much the moment. I remember, I remember like, I don't even know, four or five years into giant bomb. At some point, somebody was like, I wonder if the top slot graphic unit supports animated gifts. And of course it did. 
Oh yeah, so of course it, it did. We, we put. I think it was that it was that GIF of Paul Rudd slamming a cartridge into a Super Nintendo. That seems right. Became a top slot unit on the site. <laughs> it totally animated. So when I when I did this in Simplecast to post that episode, I was like, "Here we go! I'm going to drag this GIF in there. Is it going to animate? It's not." I think Patreon lets animated GIFs be the the show art, but not yeah. Simplecast. Yes, uh, I'm going to skip ahead to a Discord question and then yeah. do one more email because this Discord question sort of ties into what we were just talking about. Uh, it's from bit flipping. What's the best way to learn how to solder these days? I have recently begun modding old Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance systems with backlit IPS screens. And while there are some solderless kits out there, I quickly have reached the limit of what I can do without getting my hands dirty. I like mm. to find a way to inexpensively get some soldering practice in as I don't want my first soldering experience to be on an actual Game Boy motherboard for fear of ruining it. I'll very quickly tell you how this ties into the previous topic. Um, the PC speaker yeah. that I brought uh-huh. to put in the build. I saw there was a conversation about it. It's straight up. Yes. Oh, wait, which one did you see? Well, I saw that somebody was like, hey, you can just order these from China and they'll send you a thousand of them for four cents each or something. The, the eight ohm ones? Yeah. Not the little piezo buzzer ones? No, the eight ohm ones. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe I should just buy some. Well, so that maybe that leads to another question here. Um, I thought you meant the conversation where a couple of people in the chat were like, were like, you know, you don't need those speakers anymore. That's what the That's what the... That's what the eight segment display codes are for. And I was like, completely that's, missing no, the point. That's, that is completely <laughs> not the point of wanting the speaker in the computer. Yeah. That said, though, the, the speaker has totally served its actual purpose because I think it's just a little BIOS issue that will probably get ironed out. But every like third boot, I throw some kind it throws some kind of error and skips the post screen and, and ability to go into the BIOS. It does end up at the Windows login eventually. Oh, it's just some just takes a long time. It's, yeah, it, it just sits at, at black screen with no signal for like a minute and hmm. never posts. But then eventually the Windows login. I think it's probably it's some, memory training or something. I, that's exactly what I think it is. And it'll probably get on. Anyway, the point is that speaker lets me know when that's happening because it throws a four beep error instead of a one beep. So it's oh. actually totally doing its job. Well, my it's um, funny. My my motherboard trains the cooler occasionally and it'll pop up and say, hey, we're going to train the cooler. If that's OK, press it. Huh. Don't press anything. If you want to skip it, press F1. Yeah. And anyway, um, where I was going with this is, as far as I know, this speaker that, that a kind listener sent me is like a legitimate, actual old case speaker from some decades ago. And all of the moving it around in there and taking it out and stretching the cable and stuff, both of the both of the wires popped off the leads. Oh, no. And so I'm going to have to resolder it. And that's so, an easy solder job. Yes. And so I was going to say, I think this is I, I need to solder things like maybe once a year, but I think this is my excuse to buy to order a pine sole finally. Yeah, you you should. Uh, so I, I was going to say, well, OK, so he's an upcoming episode of the Fosspod. We have um, some folks from the pine sole from pine 64. Pine 64. On. Yeah. Yeah. And and like that thing's 20 bucks if you buy from them, 25 bucks or something, 20, which is dollars right now. Yeah. puts it firmly in the same price range. It's like, it's like just enough more expensive than the $10 one you get at the hardware store that you should just buy the good one. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I, so yeah, I, 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 that's what I wanted to ask here. Not, not for my purposes. I mean, I've done enough soldering, but like for, for bit flipping's sake, do you think is the pine sole a good starter entry level soldering I, iron? Would you, is that what you would recommend? I don't think there's any downside to starting with that. Okay. Um, what I would do is I would get a, some, I would go to like Adafruit and buy a couple of cheap, cheap kits. Uh, they have some, they used to have, I don't know if they still do. I should have looked at this before the show, but uh, they had a learn, learn to solder kit that was good for a long time. Let's see if she, if she still sells that. Um, 
you, basically it comes with like a breadboard. If they don't have it, uh, then you can do a just buy a cheap breadboard kit, uh, something with a circuit board and some resistors and stuff that you have to solder on. You can look for the types of components that you have to do the soldering on 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 your on your Game Boy and then, you know, pull similar parts from Adafruit that cost a dollar each or 10 cents each or 50 cents each or whatever. And you learn how to solder the headers or whatever. Um, so like if you're, if you have to, if you have to connect stuff to say uh, a, a CPU that's, or a chip that's soldered on with a lot of small connectors, buy some, buy some small connectors and, and just practice. Uh, and the nice thing about soldering is that if you manage your temperature, which is no problem with the pine cells, since you can control the temperature really precisely with that thing, then then you won't like soldering and desoldering. You won't do damage. You're just creating a lot of work for yourself. So you can un like you might torch the CPU if you do it a bunch, but if you're doing it on a practice board, who cares? So you can just disconnect and reconnect the headers over and over again until you're confident in your ability to do it. Um, the, the secret of doing small stuff is to get fine solder and not, not, you know, don't, <laughs> don't go, go easy. <laughs> like go slow and go easy. Uh, there's a, if you hit the maker channel in our discord, people can probably give you. So, um, some help. Yeah, yeah. And the solder it thing is the, is the, the one I would start with is a, let's see, do they have it on sale? It's called the mini POV three kit, which is, um, Oh, it's, this is the one I did. I, I used to recommend it and it says it's no longer recommended for beginners. So never hmm. mind. Okay. But uh, there's there's like five learn to solder guides on Adafruit on Adafruit's website. So that's that's what I would that's where I would start. They do uh, good stuff. If you Google Adafruit guide to excellent soldering, A-D-A-F-R-U-I-T, then it, they'll tell you what you need. And I would say the iron recommendations are out of date given. um given where we're at given where the pine what the what the pine sole is at this point you have gotten me looking at aliexpress and searching for eight ohm speakers and sure enough there are options yeah none, none of them look exactly like the old school pc one but they there definitely are a bajillion of them on here well fixing yours is about a 30 second soldering yeah, job yeah I'm, i i there's there's also like look again nostalgia is a potent force there's yeah. something about using the old one that's more satisfying than buying a new one. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I have a, a quick question before we move on. I don't know if you can address this or I'm sure people on the discord can. Uh, I'm seeing some eight ohm speakers on here that look like they are more like tweeters for car stereo speakers than like a Ooh. PC. So for example, for seven ninety nine here, I can get a pair of 40 millimeter. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. These are four ohm. But the thing I was going to ask is these are five watt speakers. And for example, this one I have here that's from a PC is 0.5. It's half a watt. What happens? What happens if you plug a something like a higher wattage speaker into something that can't provide that much? It'll be real quiet. Is right? it just quiet? Yeah, is that I think all so. it is? Okay. It's not gonna I mean, if you plug in the wrong impedance, it'll it can damage the circuits on the motherboard, but Okay. And the impedance is the ohms. Is the is the is the ohms, yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely want the don't want these four ohm speakers then. <laughs> I'll do more hmm. research here, but Lower is probably fine. Higher is probably bad. I would see. Be my guess. I don't, okay. I don't know. My, my guess is the motherboards are smart enough to not blow up if you plug something you're not supposed to plug into it. But I, I that's an old, like that's such a like an appendix uh, type of it's it's a, an evolutionary dead end of technology. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, actually, one other question. And again, maybe people in the Discord can answer. I don't remember which wire went to which lead because they probably both doesn't off. matter. Does it? Does it not matter? No, because the the header is not polar. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Time to fix a speaker. 
It would matter if you were doing an LED, but not for the speaker. Sure. Okay. Well, for a phase, will be backwards, but I don't yes. think it's going to matter for the beeps. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, well, and also, you can just flip the filthy connector if it is. Yes. True enough. Okay. Um, last email. I'm going to go back to emails here. Yeah. Uh, question from Eric. Is it okay to wear outside clothes in the bed? My oh. wife has a rule that any outside clothes can't be worn in bed. For example, if you went shopping and then came back and wanted to take a nap in the bed, I'm getting a, I'm getting a vehement thumbs down from the doorway here. <laughs> I'm going to say, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, for example, the rule is if you went shopping and then came back and wanted to take a nap in the bed, you would need to change into an inside shirt. But my argument is that outside clothes are allowed on the couch, and I also sit in the uh, on the couch with my inside clothes. By a cross-contamination from the couch, my inside clothes get dirty, so the step of changing from outside to inside clothes doesn't actually stop the outside germs from contaminating the bed. Is she too germophobic, or am I a reckless madman? What is, wait, what I, is, is, is there a transitive property of... Of of household grime. I, I, I'm just. I'm just. This whole question is. I look. I think we. Sometimes everyone's wrong. You think so? Yeah. There sometimes no correct, there's no correct answer. No, no. There's absolutely a correct answer here, <laughs> which is uh, the correct answer is you. You don't wear outside clothes into the bed. Mm-hmm. I'm with um, you. At least outerwear. Yes. Like I'm, I'm not gonna. If I go outside into the world and then I come back. I'm and I want to lay down in bed. I will probably take off my outerwear and lay down in like my undershirt and my and my and my underwear. Yes. Like maybe a pair of socks. Right. Like for me, it's not so much about the grime as like comfort. You know, it's like I don't want to wear the the type of clothes I wear out into the world. I don't want to get under the covers in because that just seems unpleasantly not comfortable. Well, yeah, but I also don't want I don't want like dirt. Like I like yeah. I would never wear a pair of jeans that might have like dirt totally, from outside. Totally. Like 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 if I if I wore a pair of shorts and like went and rode the Muni and sat down on the Muni, I am not going to come home and like get in the bed wearing those same shorts. Yeah, no, but but also at the same time, like I'm not worried about cross contamination from the couch because presumably the stuff that falls off of my outerwear onto the couch isn't going to re. It's not like it's going to stick to my 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 under my underclothes, my inside clothes, and and come back into the into the bed when I next lay down. So I, I am firmly on the side of your wife here on this one. Yes, yes, same. Yeah, don't wear your dungarees to bed. Man, Good God, man. Stories we tell ourselves in order to be comfortable as physical beings do you, do and, you not, ch- and not think about all of the d- disgusting, invisible stuff out you, there. Well, you're often a white T-shirt wearer, right? Uh, like I you mean, wear an undershirt only, on occasion. Are you blowing up my spot here? It's, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, not not on camera. That's only when I don't want to burn a good shirt that I would wear on camera. Yeah. So, so, but, but do you wear the undershirt underneath your other shirt or do you, do, are you just a t-shirt raw dog? And not, not these days, like, like I, I, like when I would, when we used to work in an office and I wore like button up shirts, I would always wear a white undershirt under that. Yeah. But, I mean, I, you know, I will often wear, I like, I wouldn't wear a hoodie directly. I always wear a t-shirt under a hoodie. For example. Well, yeah. God, of course. But like, so, so, but I often will wear like a thin V-neck t-shirt underneath like a, like a, like a designed t-shirt as oh, well. Sure. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Um, but just cause I'm, a, I, I tend to a little sweaty. I run a little sweaty when it's warm. And, um, 
like I will change the undershirt before I get like I'll put on, I have I have a different set of sleeping undershirts that I put on before I get to bed so I can wear a nice clean shirt to to bed. Sure. If I if I if that's the way I'm rolling. This is a lot of talk about sleepwear protocol. Yeah, my sleeping I'm going to go and tell you my sleeping has changed dramatically since we had a child who will frequently run into the bedroom and jump into bed with us in the morning. <laughs> Children don't give an F no about your grime. Well, no, no, it's not about the grime. It's just that I, I used to not be a pajamas guy and now I'm a pajamas guy. It's I, I've lost a drawer basically. Yes, but you've gained so much in comfort, man. I do like a nice pair of flannel pants. All right. Uh, discord questions. Here's one from name and number. Do you use UB keys? Why or why not? What is the state of hardware two factor? I, I do, do not. use Yubi keys. Oh, well, la di da. It's really nice. A lot of like when I log into GitHub, I just it, it says, hey, what's your email address? And it's like, hey, put the thing in and press press it. And then I don't have to type a password. It just works. It's are fucking there, awesome. Are there cross? I mean, not that you're necessarily working across a lot of different operating systems, but are there any cross platform considerations there? Or is it is it like I guess I'm wondering, like, what's the protocol by which this hardware device is communicating with this web page and would that work in Mac OS just as well or in a Linux yeah. environment? Yeah, it works out. So the one I have, um, the ones I have are USB a and NFC. So I tap them on the back of my phone when I want to use the phone. The only place they don't work is on the iPad. I probably need to get actually a USB C one just so I can use it on the iPad or an adapter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. It's uh, highly recommended. And, it, and, it lets you secure, it gives you another way to retrieve things that you've lost, which it, is important. It does seem like, I mean, I'm certainly no security expert, but it does seem like the best way to really make everything bulletproof. I just can't be bothered to bring another physical device that I have to go find into the equation. Now that I have this watch, I very much enjoy, I use two-factor all over the place, but I yeah. do it through an authenticator app that uh, now works on this watch, which is amazing because not having to go find a thing Oh, when you need to I use Authy. Man, are, I never even thought are, about that. I wonder if I have oh, one password on my on my oh, watch you too. You don't do that? No, it never even Dude, occurred to it me. It's like I, I'm sorry for evangelizing this damn watch so much, but it has like made so many things more convenient over time. And that might be the best one, actually, not having to go to find my phone because my phone is not always right by me. Whenever huh. I want to log in anything now, the code is right there in my wrist. I'll have to look and see. I, I don't. I don't. I've never even considered using the, the watch for that. The um. The the so the thing about the 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 hardware authentication is once you're logged in, generally you don't have to worry about it for quite a long time. So yeah. like it's lasts as long as my cookie does for the site, which means for GitHub it's like three months or something. So I, I don't actually have to have to sign in all that often. I just leave my I don't even carry it on my keychain unless I'm traveling for a long time. So like when we go to the desert, I take it with me. But if I'm here, then I I don't bother. Uh, or just like going on a weekend trip or something. I usually don't take it. Um, and I have two. I have a spare and one's in the fire safe. Oh, I didn't. I thought you could only have one. No, no, you can do oh, have as many as you want. But oh, depending, it depends on the account. Like that's a per account choice. So the way it works is you plug it into the USB thing. It shows up like a USB device. And I think it's just like a special. I, I, it it acts almost like a USB data, like a thumb drive. Um, but it has some special stuff happening. It's encrypted and there's a there's a button you have to touch. It continues to be absolutely baffling, bordering on comical at this point, how the, the inversion, there's got to be some pithy term for this. The 
the inverse relationship between how badly something needs to be secured and how poor their security is. I'm, oh, mostly, yeah. I'm mostly talking about financial institutions, banks, banks yeah. credit cards. Let's say like the, ta- the, the, United, the Internal Revenue Service tax infrastructure, that type of thing. Like, why is it that the absolute worst security options are available on the things that you need to secure them? Like none of those things, none of those things have two factor. Like yeah, at no. best, at best, they are sending SMS codes. Yep. At this point, I uh, just there, don't understand. <laughs> there are a couple of banks that support two-factor. Uh, uh, yeah, I like but, some but of But it's more, unusual still. Yeah, like the, the very stodgy, old, extremely old institutions. Just the... It's infuriating. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, it's... Um, yeah, anyway. There's rules uh, that keep them from doing things, which is yes, annoying. Yes. Uh, question from Shags Magoo. Is TechPod Discord cred worth risking possible espionage and treason charges? Asking for a friend. No. I mean, unless I'm, it's something really cool. I'm going to disagree and say yes. Oh, you know what they're talking about? If, if we have, if we have any, if there are any spies on the TechPod Discord. Oh, well, they're, they're talking about the, the, the leak of, the leak of Department of Defense documents from two, three, was that three weeks ago? Oh yeah. No, don't go to jail the, for the TechPod Discord. I, I assume you saw how that came about. Some kid, somebody bragged to their it's like 20, wow 20, Discord or something. 21 year old. Well. He was he was a budding fascist, uh, but oh wow, weird. But but he was like twenty one year old IT worker with top secret security clearance who basically posted a bunch of extremely sensitive documents to basically impress his friends on Discord, and then <sighs> surprised those documents got out and created a big international incident. Anyway, if there are if there are any spies on our Discord. Your, your trade craft is secret or is, is safe with us. I, I often, I often think about my friend who was maybe the most relentlessly honest and, and decent person I know who wanted to work for the government in a job that required a clearance and couldn't pass the polygraph because he was a generally anxious <laughs> kind of guy. Interesting. And, and then I think about people like that who have no problem passing the polygraph because mm-hmm. they're clearly sociopaths. Yes. And uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, man, I should not derail this conversation. We should move on to another question. But speaking of government work. Yeah. I started watching this HBO documentary about the famous McDonald's Monopoly game scam. Oh, yeah. Um, what is it called? It's based, on the, it's based on an article that was like four years ago, right? Um, that may be the case. Yes, it is called McMillions is the name of the document. It's a six part documentary series. Yeah, it is incredible. I've only gotten through the first episode, but oh, my God, it's incredible. Like it's. Like the whole thing is basically talking to the FBI agents who took down this this ring of this criminal enterprise. Yep. And like the amount of detail they go in there about both like levels of authority within the FBI and like working undercover and all this stuff. Like it's very lighthearted, but it's super fascinating. Uh, I highly recommend it based on having seen one sixth of it. I am um, in a similar note. A friend of the pod, Gary, would have recommended uh, devs to me which is a fx show with uh the guy from the guy from parks and rec which one adam scott's no the one with the Chris mustache Pratt's. oh nick offerman nick offerman he's not it's not a comedy it's a serious thing about computers and the first two episodes are fabulous really really good is it it's fictional it's not a it's, well, a, it's a drama yeah if he's okay yeah I'm not don't 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 look up anything about it if you're going to watch okay. it. Just watch it would be okay. my advice. Okay, I remember when that came out. I remember that getting some good buzz. Okay, question from Meatball. Uh, I have an eight year old kiddo, and we're about to build their first PC. 
I'm excited, but trying to dig through all the possible parental controls I should be putting in place other than being present when it's in use. Uh, I assume Will went through this in the recent past and was wondering if you guys have any good tips or ideas about parentally controlling a child's PC. Okay, so this is a complicated topic and we could do a whole episode. We actually probably should do a whole episode about this. The short answer for this is that if you have an eight-year-old and you're going to give them a computer, they probably aren't interested in any of the things that are going to get them in trouble at that age. At least none of the none of the kids that I know are going to be seeking out like they're not going to use Google, frankly. They're like if you put them on YouTube Kids and Google and don't let them access, so you turn safe search to maximum. Uh, so if they do accidentally type something in, it's nothing. They don't get anything bad. They're, that's probably fine. Uh, my advice is to put like make sure that the computer is a thing that's only used in common areas where there's other people around um, and, and spend time with them while they're using the computer. So like, you know, it's the same it, the kids are exposed to social online things much earlier now than they were even 10 years ago with Roblox and in Minecraft and Fortnite and all that stuff. So, so, you know, you need to spend, especially when you're starting out and they're most interested and most likely to listen to you spend time with them showing them how to do stuff and showing them what's right and what's not and use those opportunities to talk about like behaviors that are inappropriate and things that they don't want to see and, and plant the idea that they will see some shit on the internet that will fuck them up <laughs> real bad. Yikes. Um, I mean, but I mean, seriously, it's like you, my daughter is, is not, not afraid of the internet, but she's like, I like, I don't want to see something that's going to, to, to warp my fragile little mind. Um, and, and, it's not about fear. It's about she She just doesn't want to see like she's seen she's seen people get hurt on YouTube. She doesn't like that. Now, at the same time, like we spent 10 minutes watching an 11 foot eight dot com video last night, which is the the website for that, that there's a bridge in like Boston or New Hampshire or someplace yes. that's like 11 feet eight. And it's just a montage of trucks can't opening their roofs as they try to go underneath the trestle and they can't fit. She's all about that. She just doesn't like violence against people. So, um. You know, that's that's my that's my advice. So safe search on use the computer only in a public area in a, in a common area of the house and and spend time spend yep. spend time with with them when you're starting out. Don't don't let them use it unsupervised until you're pretty confident that they're not going to go for things that are bad. And if they if they seem interested in things that are bad, then then that's when you invest in the parental control stuff. But the the parental control stuff. Like it'll work for a couple of years. And then as soon as they're interested in it, they'll start Googling things that will let them bypass the parental controls. And then you, then you have a real problem. You don't want to, you don't want to start that fight if you don't have to. Yeah, indeed. It's some good advice. So it's like a war, it's like land campaigns in Southeast Asia. You can't win that. Yeah. Um, question from EW Kinder is how I've always said that username in my head. I thought they were kinder, but okay. You kinder. You kinder. Any thoughts on Imgur removing large swaths of old images, uh, including porn, but also removing images not uploaded from accounts? I didn't I don't know what the porn policy is there, but I've the thing I've seen people talking about is what they're doing is they are apparently purging presumably all images that have been uploaded to Imgur over time that were not done with registered accounts, but just anonymously. Yeah, which seems like potentially a like tremendous amount of Internet history to just flush down the toilet it is an enormous amount of the images that have been posted on reddit because for a long time it was the default way that oh. images got posted on reddit i didn't even know that but it's also used everywhere else you know like it's all i just how many how many broken image links are there going to be after this comes to pass out there 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot. It's, um, you know, obviously it's their service and they, you know, they know what they're hosting. Like they, there, there may be legitimate business reasons for them to do this, but boy. I, I don't think they gave actual reasons for doing this. My under, my guess is that it's that uh, it's related to payment processors being upset that there's unregulated and untracked pornography on the site. And they don't sure. want to they don't want to take credit card charges from sure. sites like that, which which affected, I think, YouPorn a couple of years ago. They seem to have rebounded like the YouPorn's business doesn't seem to be collapsing as a result of that. It's a little bit different situation because there's also like YouPorn has like a you know, a Patreon or OnlyFans style subscription business going now for people who are, are verified and authenticated. I, I, um, this feels more like a Tumblr situation though, where the moment the adult content and kind of the un- unfiltered rawness of the internet went away, the entire thing collapsed to the point that WordPress bought the site for, you know, a thousandth of what, the, what Verizon bought it for a few years before or, or Yahoo rather, but even just thinking about the number of like the number of like esoteric computing problems that I Google for like that one, that one golden forum thread or stack exchange post that has the info on how to fix. And the number of those that have links to eight or 10 year old imager images that show details about what you're doing that are going to break. It's enough images being lost that if somebody wrote an imager to archive.org extension for the browser, I would consider installing it. Yeah. Um, because like we're going to see like like your, your your point is absolutely correct. There are going to be an insane number of broken links to Imager when they when they enact this policy. Yeah, I you know, I you're, you're totally right, though. And even think about it, like I'm sure there is already some like massive and very organized and diligence uh, archival project underway. Well, if I had to yeah, guess, I mean, the archive.org people are always like, this is one of the things I miss is leaving Twitter. I don't, I don't see Jason Scott posting about what they're, what they're working on as much. Um, I'm, they're absolutely working on it. They're never going to get everything because it's too yeah. broad. And I, yeah. I assume there's no API access to give them like broad swaths of, of the, of the files. Sure. So it's a bummer. Sure. Yeah. Um, question from Yabs. The shitty dot blog post about tomato soup about the tomato soup recipe and <laughs> after tomato soup recipe, it just says in parentheses good. Yeah. Mentions, well, that's the name of the recipe. It's oh, oh, is, is, I have three tomato soup recipes in my Pinterest oh, and this is the good one. That was your naming for that the was my recipe. name. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's tomato soup recipe. Good. Yeah. Um, the, the shitty dot blog post about the tomato soup recipe mentions that the recipe is pulled from your paprika. Mm-hmm. As someone whose recipe organization strategy is nearly non-existent, just curious about the pros and cons of paprika as a solution and wondering if there, if you have any experience with false alternatives. So uh, I set up paprika a long time ago when I moved off of Evernote, which is not a false alternative. But Evernote, uh, when I when I started doing recipes in Evernote a decade and change ago, probably at this point, they let you have multiple devices connect them and they started wanting to charge you $10 a month to connect more than two devices uh, Evernote became a non-viable solution for me because like I don't it's it's a thing that I'm willing to spend like 50 bucks on once but I didn't want to have a, a $120 annual charge to use uh, I moved all of my recipes out of Evernote 
Um, and I think Gina still has some of hers there, which is uh, an unfortunate thing, but I, I absolutely love paprika. It, um, there's three things that it does really well. One is the recipes. It, it, um, you know, obviously it, it, it stores the source material. So you, if you paste a link into paprika, it will go and scrape that page and pull the ingredients block out. Oh, it pulls the blog post out and puts it entirely. It saves it, but keeps it separate in case there's viable information there. Yeah. And then it puts the steps in a separate thing. That's cool. I guess I didn't even think about it. Like the, the, the general formatting around ingredient lists on recipes is probably unique yeah. enough that it's very easy to scrape that out and make it so. Wow. That's cool. Well, they do a good job of building individual scrapers for specific food site, like America, like you can log into the America's test kitchen site and grab their recipes. You can log into like serious eats. It grabs theirs. chef steps. It grabs theirs. All of the big food blogs like, like Smitten kitchen and those it, it works with. So, um, it's, it, that part is really, really good. And because it has the ingredients, they also have done a really nice, uh, if you, if you make, if you, it has a recipe planner, a meal planner. So if you plan your meals for the week and you have your recipes in and the ingredients are right, which was always the hard part of doing digital recipes before, then you can generate a shopping list with like the pantry items that you always have, like flour and sugar and eggs removed. So you, you'll 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 say, OK, I'm making chili on Tuesday and I'm making pizza on Friday and I need sandwiches for lunch. And you can generate a kitchen, a, a shopping list that's organized by aisle in the grocery store, um, which which like cuts the time on that that work down pretty dramatically. Um, it means that like and and also you can save you can save meals like we have our like our complete Thanksgiving spread is just in there with your mom's casserole and our stuffing and my pies and all that. So like we just have the list ready to go. That's cool. Um, yeah. And 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 the 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 two the other thing is you can make a a, a shortcutlet a bookmarklet that will automatically send the recipes to your paprika account that just lives in your browser. So if I'm sitting on my desktop computer and I'm browsing, I can send it over there without having to have the paprika client on my computer. Uh, and, and like, it'll show up on my iPad and my phone automatically. The, and, the, and frankly, the iPad view is gorgeous because you have the ingredients on one side, the, di- the directions on the other, you can scroll, it'll play the videos. It's, it's really good. It's, it's uh, worth I, spending money on. Yeah, I'm looking. It's it's five bucks on iOS on Android. It looks it says in app. I assume you just buy it in the app there, but I assume it's mm-hmm. probably also five bucks. So I think and about the same on the app store. It is number one in food and drinks. So quite popular. Yeah, the the um, they price things based on the number of users. So like the PC client is way more expensive than the iOS and Android clients because they have a smaller user base for that. But it still costs a fair amount of money to develop. So like if you want to get the PC version, then it, it's 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 like 20 bucks or something but but i i have found it to be a very good piece of software i've bought it like 10 years ago at this point maybe eight years ago and and it's it's lasted a long time yeah that looks essential if you cook a lot i i I use it three or four times a week easily uh all right last question from millhouse phoenix for will do the birds have names yet i don't know about naming wild animals Hmm. i think it's fine it's not binding I, but I like I I don't know you know I don't know her person I know her personality a little bit she mostly sits around and then gets really excited when the food comes. Mm, okay. um, we're still we're getting close to the hatching potential hatching window. Hatch watch is on. Hatch watch is on. I don't know. I'm very interested to see how this goes. Uh, they, apparently, once they hatch, it's another like two or three weeks before they leave the nest. So okay, well, yeah. you got a little bit of a window there. Then any idea how many eggs there are? 
this five last time I looked on Monday. They were started out with three, then a fourth appeared, and now we're up to up to five. So oh, wow. um, okay. yeah, it's pretty exciting times. All right. Smith yeah. House. Yeah. Tune in, tune in to tight progressive burb play. Yeah, we got the burbs. The burbs are uh, except for from eight until ten ish uh, okay. weeknights. Uh, there's it's twenty four seven burbs. Yes. Uh, although I have to say this 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 IP camera I bought kind of the stream glitches out occasionally mm. in a way that like I That's think I'm going to have to write a script that opens and closes the 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 source on my OBS every once in a while. Uh, which is which is kind of obnoxious. I feel like I shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, that is annoying. Does the do you have to restart it on the camera or is it just does the camera keep sending its feed cleanly? So I reboot the camera like once a week because uh, it seems to happen more often when the camera has been up for a long time. But generally speaking, I just have to start and stop the stream because okay. I have it like it's just disconnecting and reconnecting to the to the RTSP stream. That, that should be automatable. Yeah, it, I, I can do it with with BitFocus or something. It's no yeah. problem. But yeah, it's just I feel like it's something I shouldn't have to do. Yes. Um, Brad, I think that's the end of our of our questions and answers. I think maybe yeah. we have we had a an enormous crop of good questions this month. Yeah. So we might continue it on the patron episode this yes. month if that sounds yes. good to you. Yes, we might do that. Although I sure do have a lot of PC stuff to talk about as well. I mean, we could do that, too. Yeah. I, I Yeah. Um, both. Yeah. Uh, but we've reached the end of the show, which is when we thank our patrons as always. Thank you, patrons. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, patrons. Yeah. Um, if you would like to find out how to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash techpod. Again, that's patreon.com slash techpod. And for five bucks a month, you can join the Discord. You get access to the patron episode, which is kind of rambly most of the time, but sometimes it's not. I don't know. It's 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 like stream of consciousness we here's the things we're interested in right now every month that we don't talk about on the main show um we uh i'm gonna thank our patrons now we have a bunch of them uh so thank you to octothorpe bunny crimes andrew slosky brad's midsize hoodoo voodoo switcheroo paddle creek games maker makers of fractured veil david allen james kamek joel krauska just wedge Nick Johnston and Twinkle Twinkie. Those are our executive producer tier patrons. But since it's the end of the month, we also thank our associate producer tier patrons, including Alejandro Navarro, Andre M. Burke, Arthur Geese, Ben Tallman, Dave Yulian, Eric Klein, Graham Banks, Jad Rita, Jason Rooney, the ref, Jay Maybe, Matt Walker, parentheses, Walkman 8080, close parentheses, Nathan Phelps, Sanchit Kumar, Steve Lynn, Thomas Shea, and Tom Hilton. Thank you all so, so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Our friends over at Good Day Internet do a thing where they thank the newest patron, too, huh. which uh, I That's think cool. is, a, is an interesting idea. That's a neat idea. Yeah. And I'm going to uh, do that right now if I can figure it out how to do it, how to find right. the most recent patron. Let's put your Patreon user list filtering skills to the test in real time. Oh, this is this isn't this isn't going this isn't going great. Oh, I don't I can't, I don't <laughs> I can't make the window. This, I thought this was going to be a good segment. And it's a bad segment. Oh, hey, join date. Hold on. I don't know about my ability to fill. <laughs> no, no, you, you got this. Why is this window? So why is it not? Oh, my God. Why is it? Patreon, why are you not making the window wider? Come on, man. You can't talk to websites. I'm sorry. Not yet. What? I'm not allowed to talk to websites. You can do whatever you want. Can I tell you? I was I was playing Dead Island 2 last night and it wanted me to hook it up to Alexa so I could yell at the zombies. Oh, huh, okay. 
we have to end this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, Luke Donnelly is our newest patron. So thanks, Luke. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Welcome. Hello. I'll, I'll play this better next week. I promise. Uh, Do not hook Alexa into your video games. I'm sorry. Just don't. Hey, zombie. You can lure him into traps. You can make, you can mm, make ruses. I don't know, man. I Seems like a bad know. idea. See you all next week.